Today we're going to go back into the book of Acts. And in the times that I've had to share on Wednesday evenings, I've just been going through uh, what I'm calling ministry principles from the book of Acts. And in Acts chapter 1, just by way of review, um, we see in verse 8, it says, but you will receive power when the Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. And we see in chapter 1 of Acts, we see not the luxury, but the necessity of being filled with the Spirit in order to be a witness for the Lord. And we're all called to be witnesses. And, and we all need not just the Holy Spirit in us, we need the Holy Spirit upon us. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to be that witness. In Acts chapter 2, we see the church. And it says in verse 42, they continued steadfastly with the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayer. And we see this, to me, what encapsulates the beauty and the simplicity of the church, the four things that every church should be focusing on, and that is the Word of God, the preaching of the Word of God, fellowship, providing that opportunity for for believers to come together in singing, in the Word, in eating. And then it says in breaking of bread, and that speaks of the sacraments, but it also speaks of a spirit of, of uh, hospitality and generosity. And then lastly, in prayer, those four things that we see as vital to every church. In Acts chapter 3, we see the interaction between Peter and the lame man. And he says in verse 6, silver and gold I don't have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And just the idea that we live in a needy world and that lame man is certainly symbolic of those outside of Christ. They, they are spiritually lame. And we're all called to give something, but as Peter didn't have silver or gold, but he did have something to give. And, and as we went through that chapter, we talked about how he did have the, the gift of faith. And he was able to be used as a channel of God's grace to, to heal that man. And, and realizing that we all, as Christians, do have something to give. We certainly can't meet every need, but we all have something to give. And we can't give what we don't have, but we can give what we do have. In Acts chapter 4, we see all the importance of a personal, not just a relationship, but fellowship. It says in in chapter 4, verse 13, Now they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, and they marveled, and they realized they had been with Jesus. And just the whole, the necessity of having a relationship with Jesus, being in fellowship, powerful, fruitful uh, service for the Lord starts with having a personal relationship with Jesus, being in communion with Jesus, the nature of Christ in us. In Acts chapter 6, we have the story of the dispute that arose within the church, that the widows, the Greek widows were being overlooked, and Peter's response, he says, it is not desirable that you should leave that we should leave the word of God and serve tables, but seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit, whom we may appoint. 
And as we looked at that, we just remembered how so, it's so important to keep the main thing the main thing. And for Peter and John, it was the Word of God in prayer. And we talked about how there are so many ways in which we can serve the Lord. And, and we can run ourselves ragged trying to do everything. But it's important to know what the, the gift that God has given me and keep the main thing in my life, the main thing in my, in my, um, in my service unto him. And not depart from that. Not, and allow others who are also gifted to, to fulfill their role in the ministry. And then in chapter 7, we didn't look at that, but that was the story of uh, Stephen, um, the martyrdom of Stephen. Stephen. And I want to continue tonight in, in chapter 8. And, you know, the book of Acts has so many wonderful stories, but to me, the story of Philip in the 8th chapter of Acts is such a, a wonderful illustration of a life that God uses. Certainly you can take this passage and preach it many different ways, but when I, I like using him as an example of a, of a man that God uses. And you know, I think that all of us, we want, we certainly want to be, to, to be able to come to the end of our life and to be able to hear those words of the Lord, well done, good and faithful servant. We want to be like Philip. Um, who have a testimony of being used by God. Not just going through life and Christ is a part of our life, but really being people that Christ is our life. And our motivations, our desires, our actions are are centered around um, a life that pleases the Lord, a life that is fruitful in the kingdom of God. And so tonight, I just want to look at this story and use it as an illustration for us as to what, did it, what is it um, in a person, what are the characteristics that are in a person that, that God is able to use. And so we'll look at most of chapter 8, um, and uh, we'll draw those, those applications. But let's open in prayer. Father, thank you for this blessed evening. Lord, it is, a, it is a blessing to gather as brothers and sisters in the Lord, to come into this beautiful house um, and to hear and participate in worship and to hear and, he, and listen, Lord, to what you have to say to us through your word. And so, Lord, I, I just pray for all of us here. I know in the middle of a week, we certainly have a lot of things that have happened to us and that have taken our mind, that are stressors, that are anxieties. And, and Lord, for these moments, we just pray that we could put those aside. And Lord, we ask that you would speak to us this evening and use the life of Philip, Lord, to teach us what it is to be a man or woman, to have a life that, that you can use to be fruitful in this, in the world that we live in. We thank you and we praise you and all this we pray in your name. Amen. Let's begin um, by reading the first four verses of Acts chapter 8, um, just to give some context. Uh, like I said, in Acts chapter 7, we're given the whole story of Stephen and his defense before the, the, um, the religious leaders, but ultimately 
they heard, they wanted to hear no more. They shut their ears. They took him outside of the city and they began to stone him. And, it, and uh, we see that Saul, in ver- chapter 8, verse 1, now Saul was cons- consenting to his death. And at that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. And as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house, dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. So here we're introduced to uh, this Saul, this zealous persecutor. And I want you to imagine what it must have been like for the believers in that time. Imagine, um, we don't know how long after Christ's death, but I imagine it was fairly quickly, maybe months, maybe, maybe a year, maybe two years. Um, but in any case, the church up until this time was, was centered in Jerusalem. And all the ministry of the apostles um, was centered in, in Jerusalem. And slowly, during this time, as you read through Acts chapter 1 through Acts chapter 8, while there had been great um, revival, there was growing and greater and greater animosity by the religious leaders towards, um, towards the Christians, who they considered a, a sect and finally, it kind of exploded with Stephen. I would say that he was like the match that let off the explosion. And all of a sudden, where Christians had been tolerated, all of a sudden there's widespread and accepted um, persecution. It says there that Saul was consenting. And it says a great persecution arose against the church. And they were scattered. Um, Verse 2 says, Devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation, but Saul made havoc. And so certainly when you understand it wasn't just um, persecution like we might understand persecution here where people speak against us or have opinions against us. Excuse me. This was physical persecution. People were in fear for their very lives. And it says there, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. So what happened to the church? Get the picture of a, of a, a fire and you throw the rock or a log into the fire and all of a sudden sparks go flying out and if you're in a dry area, new, new fires are starting. And as Saul is, and those who are with him were trying to stamp out the church, the church was scattering, but it wasn't... It, it wasn't being extinguished. Um, it was only growing. And um, we see that in verse 1 that the believers were scattered into all the regions of Judea and Samaria. But verse 1 tells us that the apostles stayed there in Jerusalem. Um, I have a feeling that maybe they had in their mind, you know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, in the Garden of Gethsemane we ran away. But this time we're not running away. We're, we're staying right here <laughs> in spite of the persecution. Um, 
And then, but they weren't just scattering. They didn't just take a a vacation or check out from their faith. It it makes a point of saying in verse 4, those who were scattered went out everywhere preaching the word. And so you get an understanding that these were not people running in fear or abandoning their faith. They were people who had been so gripped with the gospel that even as they were, their lives were turned upside down, um, they were faithfully obeying God's word to preach the good news. You know, that just, that in itself touches me. Because I think of the things in my own life that discourage me or stop me from preaching the word of God. And, you know, we can be in a rhythm here at church and, you know, we have our, when we're going to get up and we have our time of prayer, we have our time um, in the Word, we have our Bible study, and then something throws us off, whether it's something, uh, an anxiety or a trouble, and, or, or we go on vacation. And our rhythm is thrown off and all of a sudden we, we take a vacation from God. He's no longer an important part of our life anymore. And to me, that was convicting because I see here these believers, you know, losing their homes, losing relatives in prison. They had every excuse to stop um, preaching. But it makes a point of saying they, as they scattered, they went everywhere preaching. In other words, the truth of what they knew about Christ was so fervent, was so real, that they couldn't help themselves from sharing the Word of God even as they were being humiliated, even as they were being chased, even as they were being slandered, they were preaching the Word of God. What a great word for us. Do we have that same fervency? Do we have that same conviction in our own life? Do we, are we able to see trials in the same way? Um, are we not, they weren't easily taken off track. Are we that steadfast in our faith? Or are we allowed, do we allow ourselves to be taken off track easily? All things that certainly bring conviction to my own heart, or at least warning. And then in verses 4 through 8, Luke, who wrote the book, gives us an example. So he gives us kind of the broad picture. All the believers were scattered and they were teaching. And then he kind of narrows down and he gives us an example of one man. He says, then Philip went down to the city of Samaria. Um, let me see where I am in my, in my presentation here. Um, then Philip went down to Samaria. Now, who is Philip? Remember back in Acts chapter 6, you can, you can turn back just one page, and we're introduced to Philip in, in 6. He was um, one of those in the early church. He was one of those that witnessed this problem that was happening um, in Acts chapter 6 where the Greek widows weren't, weren't being catered for. Um, he was a Greek himself, a Greek Jew, and... Um, he became one of the first deacons in Acts chapter 6, verse 5. It tells us, um, it, it says, It pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and Philip. Um, so he was one of the men selected out of that great multitude. Remember, there was 
thousands of believers, probably five or 6,000 at that time. He was one of the men that was chosen to do the work of serving tables, um, serving the widows, making sure that they were catered for. So here we have Philip, and it tells us in verse um, 5, he went down to the city of Samaria. So in the midst of his life being turned upside down, Philip goes to the city of Samaria. Now, again, remember what Samaria was to the Jews. Samaria was a place that Jews avoided. There was a a discrimination, a racism, a, a hatred, in a sense, between the Jews and the Samaritans. And it was something that they were taught from birth. To the Jews, the Samaritans were impure. They were untouchable. They had a saying that said, he who eats the bread of a Samaritan is as, is as he who eats swine's flesh. And they would pray, and Lord, do not remember the Samaritans in the resurrection. So there wasn't even a heart in many of the Jews of that time's heart, uh, mind or heart towards them. There was only animosity. They had no love for the Samaritan in general. And so it's remarkable that Philip goes to Samaria. He could have gone anywhere. But somehow, I believe it was the Lord put it on his heart to go to Samaria. To Samaria. Now, why would a Samaritan listen to a Jew? Why would a Samaritan listen to a Jew? Well, I, I think we know enough about Philip to know that being a, a Greek Jew, he was somewhat of an outsider himself. He was one that was not totally accepted by the, the uh, Hebrew Jews. Um, and so I'm sure that he had some sympathy in his heart for the Samaritans. You know, he understood that they, they also were um, outsiders. But I think it had to do with his message as well. You know, his message was Christ-centered, not Jerusalem or temple-centered. And why would a Samaritan listen to him? Because his message wasn't all about Jerusalem. It wasn't all about the temple. You know, Judaism revolved around worship in, Jer in Jerusalem at the temple. And the Samaritans, I think, would be open to a message that took away the importance of the Jerusalem being the center of worship. But most importantly, I think it was the love that Philip had in his heart. You know, his message didn't revolve around a race of people or a place. His message revolved around the love of Jesus. And he preached with power because he loved Jesus. Look at what it says there in chapter 8. It says, Therefore, then Peter went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. He preached Christ to them. Philip wasn't an, a big-name apostle. Uh, he wasn't there because he chose to be. He was there because of the persecution he faced, and his message was powerful because he was full. He was so full of the love of Christ within himself. Um, you know, it's interesting to me coming back 
And so many of the problems that we see in, in our nation today are race-related. And we have a book club that meets on Monday nights, and we're actually reading a book that, that talks about that very issue. And being in, living in Africa for most of my life, um, and really never having a problem with the issue myself, I have a kind of simplistic um, opinion about it. And I, I just have a feeling that, you know, when it comes to these issues, yeah, there needs to be understanding, but there is an answer, you know, and I, I see the answer right here. Because here, Philip was preaching Christ. And I think that when someone is filled with the love of Christ, and the message he preaches is the simplicity of Christ, there is a tremendous healing power in that message. And, and again, I don't want to make the issues that we face in America more simplistic than they need to be, but I do think I know how we as Christians need to respond. It's, that is a message that brings unity, the love of Christ. That transcends race. It transcends color. It transcends... Um, nationality. And, you know, I experienced that just being not only a missionary kid and watching the effect of the gospel in other nations, but also being a pastor where most of the congregation were Ugandans. And, you know, I could get all wrapped up in the problems that are happened between tribes and it, it just becomes like a like a knotted fishing line, just impossible to figure out all the problems that happen. But there's something that happens when you, when you preach the love of Christ. You know, there's Jesus, the message of Christ is a unifying message. And I pray that we would, um, we would take comfort in that. You know, we may not know everything about what other peoples or races are feeling, but when we come... In the love of Christ. The Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. And certainly as hum human beings, we have sinned against one another, haven't we? But I'm thankful that my sins have been covered in Christ's blood. And that's the only way I can go to another brother and, and speak to them because I know that I myself am, am forgiven. But we see there that uh, Peter preaches Christ. And what was... The result. Um, well, we see that before he knew it, there was a revival on his hands. Um, miracles were being done. People were being delivered. Lame people were being healed. And there was joy in the city of Samaria. Look at verse uh, 6. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in the city. As he preached Christ, as he certainly used the giftings that God had bestowed upon him, um, he brought about revival, he brought about joy. So what is the first quality of a life that God uses. 
And I would say, when I look at this first section, when I look at the life of Peter, it starts with faithfulness. You know, when we go back into chapter 6, and you realize that Philip was just one of a multitude. But he was singled out and brought in, and he was faithful in doing that very small thing of, of just serving tables. He wasn't called to be a preacher. He wasn't called to be a worship leader. He was, he was asked to wait on tables to, to make sure the needs of the widows were met. And we see that in the very beginning of, of Philip's service, we see faithfulness. Not only do we see faithfulness in the small things of serving tables, but we see that he was faithful in the midst of turmoil. He didn't leave his Christianity, his faith at the door when the, when the persecution started, but as he is moving, he's preaching the gospel. He was faithful in the midst of the turmoils that were going on. And I would say that faithfulness, to do whatever it is that God has called us to do until he tells you to do something different is, a, is certainly a quality of a life that God uses. I remember hearing a pastor once talking about the whole idea of being faithful and obedient and how we have a tendency, don't we, to get bored with the task that God has in front of us. And we are excited about it for the time, whether it's using an example here, being an usher or doing the parking lot ministry or, you know, I'm, I'm serving. But then how quickly um, that can become boring to us. And we, okay, God, what next? And I remember the pastor sharing and he said, well, you need to keep doing what you're doing until the Lord calls you to do just something different. And I remember that that stuck with me because we all like to be upwardly mobile. We want to see ourselves improving, and, and that carries it over into our Christian life. But the quality of being faithful in doing the last instruction that God gave us until the Lord gives us a new instruction is certainly a quality that um, is beneficial, is a quality of a life that, that God would use. But not only is he faithful, we see that he's available. When we go back to chapter 6 again, the twelve, then the twelve summoned the multitude, this is chapter 6, verse 2, the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve. Seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint and verse 5 says, and, they, and this pleased the whole multitude, and they chose. Again, we see that Philip was available to do that work. He wasn't above it. He, wasn't, uh, he didn't think it below him. He, he had an availability. He was one of those people that someone would look at and say, oh, I know Philip. He, he would love to do that. You know, just that attitude must have been in him. But he was also available to the Holy Spirit. We see there in verse 5, it says they chose um, Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit, and Philip. And we see that these men were men that were also available to the Holy Spirit in their life. Um, and then in eight, chapter 8, verse 26, 
um, we see that he is available to the, to the prompting of the Lord. Now, an angel of the Lord, eight, chapter 8, verse 26, it says, An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise, go towards the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert. Philip was available. He was available to serve. He was a man in whom the Spirit could dwell, and he was available to the Holy Spirit to control. And we see in verse 26 there that he was available to the prompting of the Lord. In the midst of everything that was going on in in that town in Samaria, he's available to hear the Lord speaking to him. I was thinking about this as in relation to the story of the disciples in the, in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 27, where they're in the garden. And this was Jesus' hour of need. And he says to them in Matthew chapter 26, he says, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. And we know the story how Jesus went and he came back. And the first time he kind of rebuked them and he said, Kent, you even stay awake and watch and pray. Um, But every time he would go away and he'd come back, he would find them asleep. And he would say, watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. For the spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. I thought of that when I thought of Philip. Here he is in Samaria. Great things are happening around him. And yet he has the ability to listen to the Lord. And the Lord is telling him, you need to, get up. You need to go. And I think about us. And I think about myself. How available are we to hear the Lord's prompting in our own lives? How do we make ourselves available? We give the Lord time to speak to us. We give him space in our day. We not only talk to him, but we listen to him. All parts of being available I know my, my wife is much, a much better listener than I am. And she's very good at, at talking and being present in a conversation. And often I find myself, when I, someone is talking, my mind is filled with many other things. And I think that carries over into our relationship with the Lord. Sometimes the Lord wants to speak to us but we aren't available to him because we're not listening to him. And so when the Bible tells us here that, that in the midst of this great um, revival that was going on in, in Samaria there, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, and Philip heard. And that spoke to me. And it made me ask myself, am I available to hear Is my life structured in such a way that if the Lord spoke to me, I would hear him? Or is my life so cluttered and am I so distracted that if the Lord spoke to me, I would be unavailable because I'm not ready to hear him?
So we see that he was available. In verses 26 through 30, we see that he was obedient. Again, now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, go along the road which goes to the south from Jerusalem. This is the desert. And so he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury, had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning and sitting in his chariot. He was reading the prophet Isaiah and the spirit of the and the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake the chariot. In chapter 8, verse 5, we see that Philip was obedient to preach the word to the Samaritans. And God used him to bring salvation. And, and um, it turned into a great revival. But here in chapter, 20, I mean, chapter 8, verse 26, we see that he is obedient to go to the desert. And again, I want you to think of, I guess I have to put myself in, in Philip's shoes. If I was there... And God was using me to do all these great things, um, revivals, healings, miracles. I would have a hard time thinking that a voice I heard that said, go to the desert, was of the Lord. (laughs) But that's what Philip was available to hear, and that's what he was obedient to do. He was being used in a mighty way. But God turns up and says, go. And again, notice the instruction that is there. He didn't say, Philip, go to Gaza and witness to an Ethiopian. Not go to Jerusalem or go to Antioch, but go to the road in the desert. You know, there was no explanation from God about what was going to happen. There was no reason from God as to what would ultimately be the outcome. He didn't say there's going to be a revival. This man's going to take the gospel to Ethiopia. These are all the reasons why you need to go, Philip. No, it was just go to the south along the road which goes to Jerusalem. And Luke says this is the desert. No encouragement from God. Just go. And then... It says there, and he arose and went. Now that's worth stopping at and pondering. Philip hears this instruction in which there is no reason, no encouragement, no explanation, but he obeys. He arose and went. That's faith, that's trust. He knew the voice of his master. As Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice. They know my name. Philip knew who it was that was speaking to him. And we read on in the story that he meets the Ethiopian eunuch. He arose and behold a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury, had come to Jerusalem and was returning and sitting in his chariot. And he was reading the Isaiah, the prophet. Now, we know that uh, um, it says there that he was the treasurer of Candace, queen of Ethiopia. Ethiopia is the same as Cush. 
which is southern Egypt, northern Sudan. He was powerful, maybe the second in command. He was a convert to Judaism, and he'd come to Jerusalem to worship. And he had the scriptures. We see that he was reading from Isaiah. And he was on this long 2,000-mile journey. And we see that Philip was obedient to go to the chariot. Verse 29, Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake the chariot. How does God lead us? You know, to me, this scripture has been very instrumental in, in encouraging me in how God leads us and how we come to know the will of God. I think of Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, where God says to Abraham, He says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to the land I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. And I see in there, God's command to Abraham was to come out, but God didn't tell Abraham where he was going until he came out. Amen? There first needed to be obedience to get out before ultimately the Lord showed him where to go. I see the same um, principle in Genesis chapter 24, in the story of, of Eleazar searching for the wife for Isaac. Abraham sends him on this journey. I want you to go back to my homeland. I want you to find a wife, and I want you to bring her back. And, and Eleazar is wondering, how, Lord, how am I going to know which is the woman for my master, Isaac? And so we come to chapter 24 of Genesis, verse 30, uh, 13, and Eleazar is pleading And he says, O Lord, God of my master, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, here I stand by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out. Now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher, that I may drink. And she says, drink, and I will also give you your camels. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant. So he lays out this um, kind of fleece because he's, he's... really wanting to be successful in this task of finding a wife for for Isaac. And so he watches, and he sees, we don't have time to read the whole story, but he sees Rebecca coming, who was beautiful, a virgin, never been married. And she comes, and he's watching. And he runs to her, thinking, oh, this would be the perfect wife for Isaac. And he says, please, give me a drink. And she's nice, and she responds, Sure, I'll give you a drink. So she draws water. And then she goes, after you drink, I'll, I'll um, draw water for your camel as well. And he was so happy. This is the one. And then you see the gratitude in his heart. Look at verse 26. Eliezer was so happy that he knew that God had confirmed that this woman was the wife for Isaac. And he says, then the, ba- the man bowed down his head and worshipped the Lord. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his mercy and his truth towards my master. As for me, being on the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. 
I love that verse. As for me, being on the way, the Lord led me. That's the way God leads. Look at Philip. God didn't convince Philip, come out of what you're doing, come out of this great work, come out of this great revival. You're going to go to the desert, and I know it's the desert. It's a far away from anywhere, but you are going to meet an important man there, and he's going to share the gospel down in Ethiopia, and that's going to introduce the gospel into Africa, and you'll be known forever in the Bible as the man who helped bring the gospel to Africa. God didn't say that. God just said, go to the desert. I, being on the way, the Lord led me. The Lord leads us as we walk first in obedience to him. Eliezer was on the way, and as he was on the way, the Lord led him to the woman that was the wife of his master Isaac. And we know the saying, you know, you can't steer a ship that's not moving, and I guess this is the, a perfect biblical illustration of that. I being on the way, the Lord led me. As, as Eliezer was in obedience to trust the Lord, the Lord was able to lead him to the right place. As Philip was obedient to go to the desert, the Lord was able to lead him to the Ethiop, the man that, that God wanted him to meet. Obedience to do what God has told us to do is a quality of a life that God uses. I remember as a young man, early married, and I always had this idea that ministry was in front of me. When I get to ministry or when I get to this place, I will start doing ministry for the Lord. When I accomplish this, when I'm in Africa or on the mission field, I'll start. And I remember the Lord used this verse, and I don't know who, who shared it or if I read it, to teach me that ministry isn't something in the future, or serving the Lord isn't something in the future. Yes, the Lord has something for me in the future, but I need to be obedient now. And as I'm obedient in my present, God uses that obedience to lead me to the service or the work that he wants me to do in the future. I being on the way, the Lord led me. Verses, a verse that stuck with me all my life. What kind of obedience do we have? Is it a skeptical obedience? Maybe, Lord, if the conditions are right. Is it a conditional obedience? I'll go if you do this. Or is it an unquestioning obedience? Philip certainly had unquestioning obedience. As we move on, and we're getting um, close to finishing here, we see in verses 30 through 34 that Philip is being prepared, or he has been prepared. Um, It says in verse 30, So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah, and he said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I? unless someone guides me. And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. 
In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And, he who, and, and who will declare his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Verse 34, so the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask of you, of whom does this prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? And Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. You know, I think of Philip's life starting by just being a member of that congregation in Jerusalem to serving, being willing to, be, to, to serve the, the widows and the distribution of food. In, he's being prepared. In chapter 8, verse 30, we see that he comes to understand what it is that God wants from him. In, in verse 34, he engages the eunuch, and in verse 35, he explains the scriptures. All of this was because he allowed himself, or he took the time to go through those years, the discipline of being prepared to be used. You know, I was just up in Montana teaching at a, the missionary training school up there um, for young people. And I remember being a young person, and I remember how anxious I was to be used and to think of my current position as so unimportant. I wanted to do a big thing for God. And, and just sharing with them my own course of life, um, thinking back to when I was in, uh, a young man growing up in Africa and so badly, so badly wanting to, to go back to do what my parents did, to be a missionary. And then I came back, I went to school, I thought I'm going to do great things for God. I studied agriculture. Um, my desire was to go do development work in some country. My wife and I got married. Um, we were accepted into the Peace Corps, and we were about ready to go. And then my wife got pregnant, and they wouldn't allow us to go. And I remember being so disappointed, like I'd let God down, like I was giving in. But I knew that the Lord was calling us to be here. And I shared with you before, we end up in San Jose, the city where I literally never wanted to live, but God took us there. And my grandma said, oh, you're going to San Jose. That's where Don McClure just started a church. Why don't you go visit him? And so, never met Don McClure, of course, heard about him. He was a good friend of my grandfather's. But we go to the church, and it was an enormous church, Assemblies of God, nothing against Assemblies of God, but... The church was gaudy and ugly to me. <laughs> Red carpets, chandeliers. I was like, that's not my desire in church. But we went one time, heard Don McClure preach, and we were hooked. And that began a journey of 12 years of preparation, working, becoming an elder, eventually going on staff. And 12 years later, finally, the Lord opened up the door for us to go on the mission field. And I I think back on that as a lesson in just being patient and allowing the Lord to prepare us because I, I, I wonder what mess we would have made if we'd have gone ahead of the Lord's timing, you know, and tried to do it on our own. I'm so thankful that um, God, in a sense, forced us, but we listened and we submitted to that, those years of preparation in our life. And in a sense, we're always being prepared, right? When we come to church, we're being prepared for the week that lays ahead of us. When we get up in the morning and we read our Bible 
and we pray we're preparing ourselves for what lies before us. You know, the number of times that what I read in the morning in my devotions is what I end up using to encourage someone or to counsel someone during the day. And it was like, thank you, Lord, for that word you gave me in the morning. I didn't know it was a tool that I needed for that day, but it, it was a tool. Thank you for giving that to me. So are we being prepared? Are we allowing, are we, are we disciplined to go through the process of being prepared? And so we see there that Philip was prepared and it was his faithfulness and it was, sorry, I didn't move this ahead. Um, it was his faithfulness, it was his availability, his obedience, and his preparation that allowed him to be used. And we, we see how he was used here. We see in verse 35, Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. He was used to bring understanding. He explained the scriptures to him. Verse 36, he was used to bring repentance. It says, now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Remember the eunuch, the Ethiopian eunuch was a Jew. But as he understood the scriptures, he realized he needed, he needed to trust in Jesus. He was used in, in verse 37 to bring salvation. Then Philip said, if you believe with your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then verse 39, again, he was used to bring joy. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. Not sad, not regretful, but rejoicing. You know, God wants all of us to be used in these very ways. He wants our life to be a life that brings understanding to other people of the love of God and the love of Jesus Christ for them. He wants to use us to bring people to that place of repenting of their sin and accepting Christ as their, as their Savior. He wants to use us to bring joy. I love that verse. He went his way rejoicing. Philip left, but he went his way rejoicing. What do we leave behind? When we leave the scene, what, what do we leave with, behind with the people that we've been with? I pray that it is a sense of joy. I pray that we have been that aroma of Christ, that sweet aroma of Christ that leaves people rejoicing. And then the last point I have is one that again speaks to me, is verse 40. We see that Philip perseveres. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. You know, it's interesting, chapter 8 is devoted to Philip. And we only find Philip's name really in chapter 6, where he was a deacon. Chapter 8, where he's used in Samaria, and he's used with the Ethiopian eunuch. And then after chapter 8, he kind of just falls off the pages of Scripture until we get all the way to Acts chapter 21, which is probably 30 years later. Acts 21, 
we find as Paul on his third missionary journey is coming back to Jerusalem, and we know that would be his final missionary journey um, because he would be um, arrested. But it says there that when he got to Caesarea, verses 8 and 9, it says, On the next day we were we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. And this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. And we stayed with him many days, and a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And it says there that they prophesied that Paul was going to enter into uh, captivity. He would be arrested. But we have this little excerpt from Philip's life. A couple little excerpts. But then we see his, his life 30 years later, and what's he still doing? He's still a testimony for the Lord. We don't know what he was doing, but we know that he persevered in serving the Lord. He was still the evangelist. You know, it says there in, ver- in chapter 21, it says Philip the evangelist. In other words, the gift that he had when he was a young man is a gift that he persevered in using all of his life. He didn't give up. He, he finished well. And again, that, that desire to be a persevering Christian, even when we're not in the spotlight, even when we don't have notoriety or fame, um, when, our, when other people aren't speaking about us or, or looking at us, we're persevering in our relationship and in our love for the Lord. Certainly a quality of a life that God uses. And so we come to the end. And again, we're just looking at Philip, an example of a life that God uses. Now, certainly in the Bible, there are many lives that God uses, but I I like Philip's life because it encapsulates so many of the points that that are beneficial for us. And, you know, do I want to be a man or a woman that God uses. I'm certainly, we'd all say yes. Am I faithful in the calling that God has on my life right now? You know, I certainly think about my wife's in life. You know, we've gone from a ministry in Africa to a very different ministry. I was just sharing with a gentleman this, uh, this morning, you know, how it's in, uh, our life has gone from being, going from one of the poorest places in the world to one of the most wealthy, right? This is a wealthy community. And how very different ministry is. And, um, and yet I know that God has called us here. And uh, there are times I question, like, Lord, am I in the right place? You know, I, I say that out loud. I don't believe that in my heart. But... You know, it's a very different kind of ministry, and I keep thinking, you know, this is exactly where the Lord has called us to, and I need to be faithful. As I was faithful in, as we were faithful in Uganda, we need to be faithful where we are right now. And that's a question that I think we all need to ask ourselves. You know, what is the calling in our life now? And maybe you're not in full-time ministry like myself, but, you know, we're all husbands. I mean, many of us are husbands. (laughs) Not all husbands. (laughs) But many of us are. Are we faithful in the calling as a husband? A wife, a father, a mother. That's a calling, a very important calling. Are we, and sometimes we think, well, that's not a big enough calling. It's not exciting enough. But are we being faithful? Think of Philip. He was faithful just serving tables. 
And out of that nondescript place of serving tables, God pulls him and brings him into a, 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 greater, a, a place of greater use. Are we available? Have we brought into our life habits, disciplines that allow us to be available to God, that allow us to hear from God? Do we spend that time each and every day nurturing that relationship with the Lord so that we can hear from Him? Are we regarding sin in our hearts or in our lives that would hinder our prayer or hinder us from hearing from the Lord? Are we available? Are we obedient? Philip was somehow ready to just say yes and leave wherever he was and go to a place he didn't know because he had faith in the Word of God. Are we obedient to the Word of God when it comes to you? And then lastly, are we, are we being prepared? The process of preparation is every day. We're always being prepared for the next task that's in, that the Lord could use us in. And uh, I just love the verse, I being on the way, the Lord led me as I'm obedient to the task that's in front of me now. I'm in a better place to be led by God and to be used of God for what He has for me. Amen.